Mia hopes that her foot pops when she has her first kiss with Josh. Is that real? Okay, the foot pop. I have to say, this provided me with very unrealistic expectations for my first kiss. Oh, really? So yes. you watched you watched I the watched Princess Diaries this. thinking, I also want a foot pop. I also want a foot pop. And did it, the foot pop happen? Like, I don't know if I remembered to do the foot pop, but like, it doesn't happen naturally. Your foot just doesn't pop. You have to make it pop. <laughs> foot doesn't pop, guys. Well, like when you haven't it had, pops, that's bad. When you haven't had your first kiss, you you assume that when you've kissed somebody, your foot pops. If your foot's popping, it does not. See a chiropractor, guys, because that's not normal. <laughs> Welcome to the Rom Com Rewind podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Devin. And like you, I love rewatching movies over and over again. You're here, you made it to us, you found us, you love romantic comedies, which is great because we do as well. So this is a show where we rewatch rom-coms, break them down a bit for you, maybe take a peek behind the curtain, dig beneath the surface, and decide, does it still hold up? Today we have The, the Princess, Princess Diaries. Diaries. And before we jump in, wherever you're listening to us, um, throw us a follow on Instagram, actually, at Romcom Rewind. It's the easiest way to get in touch if there's anything you want to chat about regarding romantic comedies or anything you hear on the pod at Romcom Rewind. We have a message from um, Madeline. I think it's Madeline. I hope. I hope it might be Madeline. She says, Happy New Year's from Australia. I'm so ashamed I literally only just watched the holiday last week. So, of course, I had to go back and listen to your episode. Seriously loved Sarah said my every thought. Why did Cameron Diaz run when driving would have been 100% faster? The disappointing chemistry with Kate and Jack loving Arthur and him being the real MVP of the movie. I then got on a bit of a back a back catalog binge listen. This was at 3 a.m. while comforting my three-month-old. And I just had this moment thinking how far your podcast has come and how many amazing episodes you have now. Can't wait to see what 2024 brings. Three month old. Hey, Madeline, Madeline is in the, um, that that's like just outside the spin cycle of the, the first month <laughs> of being a parent. The sleep deprivation is wild. So real. Three months. It's you're starting to see the light, but yeah, yeah those 3am wake ups. We hear you. We've yeah. been there and we love that we can accompany yes. you for that. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, thank you for those kind words. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Princess Diaries is a 2001, it's kind of like a coming of age romantic comedy directed by Gary Marshall. This is the story of Mia Thermopolis, played by Anne Hathaway. Mia is a high school student in San Francisco. She's not cool. Um, <laughs> I don't know how to delicately say that. She only really has two friends, Lily, played by uh, Heather Matarazaro, and her older brother, Michael. He's played by Robert Schwartzman. Maybe a love interest there. I had such a crush on him. Really? <laughs> yeah. I found him to be so aloof. Like, really, <laughs> really aloof. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say the other guy, like the love interest, Josh, the other love interest, Josh, like the crush that Mia has. He's good looking oh, as well. You mean the the horribly toxic guy? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure, him too. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted them. <laughs> um, there is something Mia does not know, however, and we learn very quickly that technically she is the princess of a country called Genovia, which is not real. It doesn't actually exist, but but that's our premise for the story. This film also features Mandy Moore as the classic high school villain Lana. Uh, Mia has a grandmother, the queen regent of Genovia, played by the great Julie Andrews. And just a um, a point of fact regarding The Princess Diaries, obviously was a critical masterpiece, but also this movie made $165 million on a $26 million budget. Kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's it's your, huge. It's your lead in for The Princess Diaries. What are your thoughts? She's right there. That's Mia Thermopolis. Glamour, romance, fame. Mia Thermopolis had it all, but only in her dreams. As always, this is as good as it's gonna get. Her real life was completely ordinary. You're way tense. But now, something's about to happen. Your grandmother called. This is the first time she's ever contacted us. What you want? That will change everything. I. I'm queen of Genovia. Whoa, whoa. And you are princess. Shut up. Just in case. I'm oh my gosh, this movie is a classic. We have had this movie suggested, recommended to us 
like a million times. And I mean, I completely agree. This is one of the great early 2000s, like rom-com chick flicks, like that yeah. every girl has seen or has heard of, right? Like Anne Hathaway, this was, you know, her, her breakout, her breakthrough uh, role. And I think she did such a good job. I love Julie Andrews. She is just one of the most amazing people in the world. Like she's such a good actress. The writing was so funny. Like I will never forget in my mind. There's so many things that happen in this movie that I'm like, oh yeah, I still, that's where that's from. Like, that's where I say that that's from. like the amount of um, different ways you can tell somebody to get off the grass. I don't think I'll ever forget. <laughs> like yeah. it is so funny. I, I laughed throughout the whole thing. I just love this movie so much. Is Julie Andrews like the perfect kind of motherly character in a role like this? Because, you know, I think back of like what she's most known for, The Sound of Music. Mary Poppins. You know, the Von Trapp, Tra Tra mm -hmm. the kids, you know, she's the... And now it, her and this is the grandma. It's like, oh, it's just so, so wholesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with all the things you said about this. It launched Anne Hathaway's career. I also think like teen high school rom-coms. They had a different feel back in the 90s and 2000s. Something really hard to replicate because I think if you tried to do this same movie now, it it feels a little... I do appreciate that, like, yes, she was in high school, but it wasn't like... I mean, don't get me wrong. 10 Things I Hate About You, I absolutely love it. But it was very driven at the high school, right? And, like, high school yeah. things happening. This was too, but it was also her princess school, you know? Like, it, she was having lessons and she was, like, learning how to literally run a country. Yes, it was <laughs> It was princess school and then high yeah. school was the, uh, yeah. the side thing. Yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. So the movie starts out where Mia lives in an old firehouse, which is so cool. Her mom is obviously an artist and Mia seems to be be a bit of like a nobody or um, invisible at school. She goes to a private high school and her best friend is Lily. Of course, Mandy Moore is the popular girl and um, Josh is the cute guy that Mia has a crush on. We see her go to debate class and she goes in as the um, the negative side is what they call it and ends up running out puking because she can't public speak. She gets to her rock climbing place where she works and you can immediately tell that she is so much more at home at at the things that she's good at and at the places where she um, feels most comfortable her mom comes to see her there because she also rock climbs and tells her that Mia's only li a living grandmother has called. Her name is Clarice and wants to meet her. Mia agrees to go and meet her. And the next day, um, she goes to this uh, estate-looking uh, place. And there is a loudspeaker that yells at her to get off the grass in like a billion different languages. And this is my favorite. <laughs> this is one of the pieces of this movie that I will forever remember. She gets in and it is immaculately beautiful. They meet and Clarice gives uh, Mia, um, I guess, a once over and kind of tells her, OK, like stand and and twirl around and let me see you. Let me see what you look like. And isn't exactly what Clarice envisioned. And she needs a lot of work. So when they have tea, Mia has absolutely no etiquette. And Clarice asks if she's ever heard of a man and it's a long name. Have you ever heard of Edward Christophe Philippe Gerard Rinaldi? Oh, well, he was a prince. She goes, oh, cool. And then she goes, yeah, Mia, that was your father. Yeah, sure. My father was the Prince of Genovia. Uh-huh, you're joking. Why would I joke about something like that? No, no, because if he's really a prince, then I... Exactly. You're not just Amelia Thermopolis. You are Amelia... Mignonette Thermopolis Rinaldi, Princess of Genovia. A, a princess? Shut up! I beg your pardon? Shut up! Your Majesty, in America it doesn't always mean be quiet. Here it could mean wow, gee whiz, golly wallies. Oh, I, I understand. Thank you. Yeah, that's like an Americanism. Like, just just go with right, it. Yeah. Just go with it. She's like, oh, okay. She is the natural heir to the throne of Genovia. Actually, the only heir. And Clarice will get her into tip-top shape. And she will have to live in Genovia. And she says, Mia says that she doesn't want to be a princess. And then she runs away. She runs off. 
This is where we meet Joe, the bodyguard. This is um, someone who's been in the uh, family for a very long time, is very close with Clarice and was close, I think, with uh, King, I believe it was King Albert and um, or Rupert, King Rupert and um, is, yes, is close with the family. And so she kind of he kind of looks out for Mia. At home, Mia yells at her mom asking why she was never told. After the two of them got divorced, they decided that Mia wouldn't know and would be able to live a normal childhood, that they, um, the royal family would keep their distance, including her father, and that she was going to find out at the age of 18. So that would be in about three years from at this point on. Clarice goes to visit at the firehouse and she tells Helen, Mia's mom, that if Mia doesn't agree to be their heir, that Genovia will cease to exist. Clarice tells Mia that in a matter of weeks, she wants to present her to all of the royals in their country, letting them know that there is an heir, but she needs instruction first. And so she wants her to, she wants to get her ready. Helen tells both Mia, uh, she tells both of them that Mia can attend princess lessons, but will not accept nor deny being a royal until the ball. And then we'll make her decision. So it's kind of like, of course, there's got to be like a, like an offer accepted or denied, right? When the like, clock strikes midnight. Yes. And, yeah. So Joe, her bodyguard, picks uh, Mia and her friend up in the limo, Lily, to bring them to school. But they end up scootering home. And her friend is talking about how her and her dad are going out for dinner that night. Like this is Lily and her dad. And that they, she doesn't want to go. They have nothing in common. And Mia says, well, at least your dad is still alive. And Lily looks at her and says, well, I thought you were over that. It's been like two months. Uh, that was really insensitive, I find. Oh, the friend is the worst. I dislike her friend so much. Yeah. I it, it I think from Lily's perspective, I mean, it doesn't make it right, but she she tells Mia, like, you never even knew the guy. The guy only sent you a card and a gift every year on your birthday. Still, Still upset about it's something. her dad. Like, <laughs> like, anyway, yeah, I just thought that was weird. She goes to see Lily's brother, Michael, at the auto shop where um, her car, her new Mustang that she's getting for her 16th birthday is being, uh, I guess, under construction. <laughs> it's $400, which is a lot for her. And Lily's brother says that he'd do some labor for free. This is where we get our first glance at the crush. Oh, to be back in the early 2000s when <laughs> uh, an old antique Mustang could be fixed up for $400. Oh, God. Just save me on the labor and we'll be okay. Like, what? I know. Mia says she's going to ask her grandmother Clarice about it and to pay for it, which is hilarious. Like, I feel like you just met the woman and now you're going to ask her for money. Hey, you know, it's nice pals. I do the same. You got to just strike while the iron's hot. (laughs) Get that cash money. So So Mia is at the consulate uh, for her first princess lesson. It goes absolutely terrible. We have a montage of, you know, her understanding how to sit properly, her face, turning it around, looking at her ears, her eyes, her eyebrows, everything like that. Uh, turning around properly, all of those things. The next princess lesson is proper, properly eating at a dinner table and then dancing. The next day Mia shows up, but it's makeover day. This is my best scene. I mean, who wouldn't have this as their best scene? <laughs> this is the best scene. Well, it's, uh, gosh, what's that guy's name? Well, okay. So as you're looking for that, I'm going to, like, he can't brush her hair because it's very bushy. Breaks her glasses, plucks her eyebrows. She's absolutely transformed. I've actually seen it on TikTok where, like, brides will, um, or I guess bridesmaids will take really ugly photos of the bride. And then when she has her hair and makeup done, we'll put the ugly pictures in front and then like pull away and have the the music from majesty polo is exhausted because majesty only polo can take this and this and give you a princess princess diaries oh it's really cool that's too funny yeah i like Uh, it Larry Miller. And it's funny that you bring him up because, um, or it's funny that you bring up um, 10 Things I Hate About You. He was the dad. Yes, he was. 10 Things I Hate yeah, About I You. Yeah, I forgot about that. He was in Pretty Woman. <laughs> well, so I'm not. Su- I'm not surprised he was in Pretty Ro- Woman because there were a lot of actors in the, this movie that, was, that were also in Pretty Woman. One of the few people who also reprised his role 
on the television series, 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh. Which I feel is so random. Yeah, you know what? I did watch the the, tele- the TV series, but it wasn't that good. I can't imagine it many wasn't, of the original it, cast no, came back. I was going to say, it wasn't good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Oh, goodness. The next day, Mia shows up to pick up her bestie, Lily, and her brother, Michael. When he sees her, Michael is instantly in love. But when Lily sees her, she says, ew, you look ridiculous, and that you should sue. She's the, and it's honestly, like you I don't like Lily at literally all. Literally the most bitter person ever. She sucks. She, we're teed up like, oh, but they've got a great friendship, and it's all going to turn around. No, 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 Lily sucks in this movie. Yeah, she does. She's not a very nice person. She's not much better. It's funny because Lana is the um, the the villain in the movie, but yeah. really, like the way that Lily speaks to Mia is not much better. Like I would consider that potential. Like in this stage of the movie, anyway, I'm like you're a little bit of a villain. Lana, um, as Mandy Moore, the main villain of our story, is she on your list of top ten? Like high school rom com villains, can I can no. I hit you with some of the? No, she's not. not. Doesn't even break the top ten. No, I don't think. Oh, well, you know what? Let me tell you. Why don't you tell me the top ten and then I'll tell you. Well, I I think my personal number one is Marianne Bryant from Easy A. That's played by um, Amanda Bynes. Oh my god! She, because she's so funny. <laughs> she was she's hilarious. so over the top. She was so good. She had some of the best lines in that movie. She did. Um, I'm going to do Joey from 10 things I hate about you. He's the guy who's trying to uh, sleep with. Oh, he was bad. Yeah. He was not good. Uh, Martin from love Simon, the guy who outs Simon. (gasps) Yeah. That's not cool. Yeah. He sucked. Not quite high school, but I've got Warner from legally blonde, the main love interest in, well, the, at the beginning, like he's the one. Right. Yeah. Yes. That she follows. He does suck as well. He does. (laughs) John Tucker and John Tucker Must Die. Oh, John Tucker. You know what, though? That was so funny because I think the girls did such a good job at getting him back. And he, yeah, yeah. That's the, like, we're, we know he's the villain right off the top and the whole movie is just dedicated to, to getting yeah. him back. So it makes him a little bit Womanizer. less. Womanizer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lucy, 13 going on 30. Like, uh, like her friend. Oh, she was, 13. she was a villain for sure. Yeah. And then I, this girl turns it around later on in the series, but Jen from To All the Boys I've Loved Before, they become friends after oh, a while, right? I yeah. thought in like the yes, when or third she releases movie. the video, yes, mm-hmm. does very villainesque. Does Mandy Moore in this movie? Oh, I take guess. over a spot from any of those people, or it, I think she might. Yeah, kay. she might take one or two. Anybody here who doesn't belong? Oh, that's a tough one. I think like. No, I think I think you've hit that list pretty well. Here we go. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I feel like it's on the tip of my memory of like there's some, like I, I can't think of, but there's got to be one or two more that I've just been appalled with, you know, but I can't think of them off the top of my head. If uh, I remember them, I'll post them on, on our stories if I remember them. But yeah, that's a great list. I love it. That was good. I might add Lily to it. (laughs) (laughs) Like that was like a major dot, dot, dot. But like, I feel like I may replace, I feel like I didn't hate Lana as much as I hated Lily in this, not hated her, but I just didn't like her character. I think because you teed up as their best, like, Hey, we're best friends, but it's like, I don't think Lily's good for you. No, but I also don't think she was a nice person to her. No. You know, I don't know. Anyway, I think, yeah. Not always. No, no. Anyway, Lily doesn't stop there and just goes on and on and on and and like about how, you know, oh, Mia, you keep ditching me. Oh, Mia, you're so, like, you've changed. Oh, my God, you've changed your whole self and blah, 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 blah. Mia cries. And Mia finally tells her, like, it's enough. Enough is enough. Like, you need to stop and then tells her the truth. And she comes around. Lily apologizes and that she's sworn to secrecy, but she's so excited for Mia and everything's just like tickety-boo now. No longer a villain. Tickety-boo. Tickety-boo. So you, you listening, <laughs> I'm sure you've had a moment like this where somebody you know who has never used a certain expression before ever just randomly comes out with one. I have never in my life heard you say tickety-boo. Really? I, I do say it. My old boss used to say it <laughs> constantly. Oh. And then I said it occasionally. <laughs> and I'm I have uh, a piece of my mind thinks maybe... 
maybe that's a, a resurgence of of my old boss. Oh, manifesting in you right oh, there. Oh God, no! You would say tickety boo constantly. Okay, well, I don't say it constantly. I just said it, and I probably won't say it for another long, like for a while. <laughs> You're welcome, though. I've honestly <laughs> never heard you say it once before. Really? Ever. Never. <laughs> oh, gosh. I do say it. At school, Mia's wearing a hat and Lana makes her take it off. Everyone sees her new hair and thinks, <laughs> oh, my God, you're trying to fit in. This was a wild reveal. Because <laughs> she was the, the teacher was like, oh, you need to take your hat off. And then she takes it off. And her beautiful flowing hair. And, and some girls are complimenting, but like others are making fun of well, her. Like, jelly. Wow, trying to fit in. And it's like, you can't not make fun of her. Like, this girl can't win. I know. She has ugly hair. You make fun She's of it. She's literally she pretty invisible. Hair, you yeah. make fun of it. Yeah. She can't win. The poor girl. Anyway, her princess lessons are coming along, though. And uh, while walking to school the next morning, Michael asks her out on a date. And as they get to school, there's press waiting for the princess to arrive. She's bombarded when they all know that it's her and they start taking pictures. We find out that Apollo, the, um, I guess, the transformer of looks, um, (laughs) was the one, even though sworn to secrecy and signed NDAs, they, uh, he came, he went to the press and said, I transformed the new princess of Genovia. The The transformer of, what was it again? Looks. Looks. The transformer of looks. Should put that on a business card. (laughs) Transformer of looks, <laughs> Apollo. <laughs> With a name like Apollo, too, that slaps. That hits hard. I think it does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the queen arrives at the high school, and it turns out that it was, like I said, Apollo and, or is it Paolo? It's Paolo. I don't know why I was saying Apollo. <laughs> I literally, you know why? Do you want to know why I said? thinking of Greek no, gods? It's <laughs> no, because I was using text to speech, like text to write. Oh like, or God. no, sorry, not text to write, but like uh, speech to write. Right. While I was watching the movie. And that's why it did Apollo instead of Paolo. <laughs> okay, so it's Paolo. He's the one that is the transformer of looks. You're welcome. <laughs> he sold them out. Mia has to decide what she wants to do. Be a royal or decide not to do it. It's the state dinner that night and she's entering. And that goes smoothly. But everything else at the dinner is basically a mess she's brain freeze from eating uh ice cream she sets a man's arm on fire breaks a champagne flute the final disaster of the evening is uh her trying to get a grape under the table and making the prime minister's face land in his food while another man trips over eventually everybody laughs and has a really good time (laughs) but it's still very chaotic and it's pretty funny The next princess lesson, Clarice isn't mad at Mia and says that she found it funny. She cancels her day and lets Mia show her San Francisco. They take Mia's Mustang, which Clarice paid for, and they go to an arcade. um, And she says, it's not appropriate for a royal to jingle. I thought that was really funny. That's really cute. Yeah, that's funny. I like went back and rewatched it because I was like, that's really cute. (laughs) They eat corn dogs and then they're on their way back to the consulate and Mia can't make it up the hill with her Mustang and ends up crashing into a trolley and ends up taking uh, taking them out. uh, Sorry. And Clarice ends up talking them out of getting a ticket by bestowing upon these two gentlemen, one being a police officer, one being a uh, like a (laughs) trolley driver, um, the something rose. The 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 knighting of the rose or something like that. They become um, Genovians. So this was um, this was Anne Hathaway's first legit role. Like before this, she had she was on some episodes of a of a TV, TV show. Series, yeah, she was right? on twenty two episodes. Yep. Where do you think this ranks in terms like all time best debuts by an actor? Oh, high up there for me, anyway. I think it's I think it's a top five. Yeah. I have I have the tail of the tape though, the top oh. ten okay. in my mind. Because in number ten mind, okay. number ten's a good one. Number ten is uh Die Hard back in nineteen eighty eight. I've never watched Die Hard, you guys. Well the villain for the first time ever on screen was Alan Rickman. Like oh, he was no. the main villain of the story. Yeah. And that was his first like debut? That was his debut. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. What a movie. Hans I mean, I Gruber. Like everybody makes the Hans joke. Hans Gruber. Gruber. That was that was Alan Rickman's first time. That is amazing. Haley Steinfeld's a tough one because she was already kind of like in the ether, but she did True Grit back in 2010 that everybody was obsessed with how she did with this. See, I knew her from Pitch Perfect. 
Yeah, she would go on to do Pitch Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anna Paquin, The Piano, 1993, Edward Norton, uh, Primal Fear was his debut, which was pretty huge. Yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy was, I believe, on Saturday Night Live before he did 48 Hours, which was a cop movie, but... Oh, okay. He's um, done some big movies. He's done some big movies now. Natalie Portman on the list with uh, Leon the Professional, but then, okay, okay, the top four... Cameron Diaz, her first ever role. My best friend's wedding was the mask in nineteen ninety four. Oh my god! What a I was, role! Wow, I was gonna say too. Is it something about Mary? But no. Well, my my best friend's wedding was ninety seven. Right. Yeah, something about Mary was pretty early in her career too, which yeah. we have to put on. We do. It is I, on the list. I think. Yeah. Yes, people have uh, asked for it. I've got Anne Hathaway at number three. Oh yeah. yeah. With this, the Princess Diaries. That's pretty big. It's massive. Number two, though, Johnny Depp, A Nightmare on Elm Street was his opening. What year was that? 1984. So then Scissorhands was shortly thereafter. Yeah. And so so A um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, I believe, was Tim Burton. And then he would go on to do Sleepy Hollow and Mm, Edward Scissorhands. Right. right? I forgot about Sleepy Hollow. Um, Excuse me. Wes Craven was the director on A Nightmare on Elm Street. On Elm Street, but then Tim Burton kind of was. And then like, he did hey. all of the Tim Burton, and movies. then he just started getting Tim Burton <laughs> money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then number one, I mean, back to the horror stuff. Jamie Lee Curtis' first ever role was in Halloween oh. back in nineteen seventy eight. Yes, and then I feel like she full circled it with like Halloween Five, right? That's right. That's right. In, and that was a big moment. Like Jamie Lee Curtis is back, kind of mm. thing. And she, like, I, I'm just going by like body of work. Right, Johnny from Depp, that point, Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis, mm-hmm. like they, th- th- their careers have ended up being so massive. Anne Hathaway, I think this is a pretty massive opening, but I, I got her at three. I think you're right. I think three is appropriate. Maybe by the end of Anne Hathaway's career, she will have surpassed those two, but just in terms of overall body of work, you know. Yeah, that's cool. I like that she's top three, though. Like you know, good for her. I would and, say definitively. But for like first movie being, I'm not a horror like person so i wouldn't have watched halloween but i feel like this movie coming out of the gate as your very first one is unreal oh unreal absolutely and working with julie andrews and it was like it wasn't expected to be massive i mean you got mandy moore and you have um yeah julie andrews but from what i understand reading the behind the scenes here is that they thought this would be good made 165 million dollars on a 26 budget it's great that's insane Back at school, now everyone wants to be her friend. Even Josh the Hawkeye talks to her. He tells her that he broke up with Lana and wants to go with Mia to the beach party that weekend. She's so pumped that she goes and tells Michael that she can't make it to the auto shop to see his band play because she's going to the beach party with Josh. He is super bummed. We also have to remember that Mia is supposed to be on her best friend Lily's cable show. Was this like the original podcast? (laughs) (laughs) I mean... <laughs> she talked about nothing for like an hour. It she seemed. literally talked about uh, nothing. I mean, it was, it was yeah. That's save save TV the ocean. Used to just be podcasts, Sarah. That's <laughs> basically <laughs> we've transitioned from people doing stuff on TV to just people doing stuff yeah. in their home studios. I guess, like yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of that while I was watching that. I was like, hmm, is this like the OG podcast? They were TV shows. <laughs> yeah. Apparently everybody, and you know what? Back to the whole like um, rom-com tropes. Somebody either needs to have a radio show or a, yes. there's got to be or that thing. Or that they're the morning announcements. The or morning announcements. They're the, they're the radio the, show. Yeah. yeah. Or at the football game, they're the announcer there. Totally. Or yeah. Usher's the freaking DJ in uh, Never Been Kissed. It's yeah. a, There was always something s- silly like that. <laughs> so of course her friend is like, I host a cable TV show. It's like, really? <laughs> of course you do. I Yeah. I never went to school with one person who hosted a cable TV show. Like, yeah, no. Where was this happening? San Francisco, apparently. (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Mia hopes that her foot pops when she has her first kiss with Josh. Is that real? Okay, the foot pop. I have to say, this provided me with very unrealistic expectations for my first kiss. Oh, really? So you watched watched The Princess Diaries thinking, I also want a foot pop. I also want a foot pop. And did the foot pop happen? Like, I don't know if I remembered to do the foot pop, but like, it doesn't happen naturally. 
Your foot just doesn't pop. You have to make it pop. <laughs> foot doesn't pop, guys. Well, like when you haven't it pops, had, that's bad. When you haven't had your first kiss, you you assume that when you've kissed somebody, your foot pops. If your foot's popping, it does not. See a chiropractor, guys, because that's not normal. <laughs> oh my god! But but you actually watched this and you I thought like, well, I was like, I want a foot pop. Eleven year old Sarah is yeah. like, wow, foot mm-hmm. pops. That's I know. what's supposed to happen. Yeah, here. I was like that. Okay. Duly note, that is what happens when you kiss somebody. Your foot is supposed to pop if it's a good kiss. Wow. Unrealistic expectations, let me tell you. I did remember it. Anyway, at the beach party, she's having the best time with Josh. And then the press shows up. She runs off to a shack with Josh and they go to kiss. But her foot can't pop because it's caught up in fishnets. So she pushes him away saying it's not a romantic place. And they wait out until the... Uh, the press leaves and as they're leaving the shack obviously the press has landed and they she like they overwhelm her they start taking pictures of her and josh uses this as his 15 minutes of fame and kisses her again foot does not pop (laughs) then lana and her lackeys are terrible and they fake helping her only to leave her almost naked when they take away their her changing tent that she's changing in and she ends up on the front page of the newspaper that was the worst that was the worst yeah, especially girls to do that to another girl. Mm. Well, yeah, like to fake helping, that's really crappy. Especially, yeah, just, yeah, it's awful. The next morning, she goes to see, uh, Mia goes to see Clarice, and Mia has decided that she's not going to be a royal. Clarice is really um, not disappointed in her, just, you know, tells her you caused a lot of chaos. This is a problem. You, you know, you can't do things like this. Everyone is making fun of Mia at school, which is ridiculous. Like she goes from literally being invisible to being the most popular girl. And then because she was almost naked from a change tent. Because some guy forced a kiss upon yeah. her in front of the press. It's like, wow, what a loot. They yeah. start making all these kissing jokes about her. It's like, well. And ridiculous. You and should make them about him because he's an a-hole. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, then she tries to apologize to Lily because she missed her cable show on the Saturday and that doesn't go too well. They do eventually make up after arguing a little bit. And Lily said that she was just jealous and wants her to be a princess and that she can make real change by being a princess. And Mia invites her to the ball. Mia gets Josh back in gym class by hitting him in the balls with a softball. Love that. She gets Lana back by pushing an ice cream cone on her cheerleading uniform. Uh, it just kind of in there, like in their quad. And um, I feel like that's some good revenge right there. That was appropriate revenge for the level of villainous that they they gave. Love the, the amount of revenge there. So th- this movie does kind of speak on something that has clearly occurred in life, which is a celebrity at high school. What are celebrities like in high school? What are just normal people's stories about celebrities? I have for you, Sarah, Mm. stories of celebrities in high school as found on Reddit. Now, here's the thing. I'm just reading shit that people posted on Reddit, and there was one website that had some good ones. I love it. So take all this with a grain of salt. This, none of this could be true. Some of it could be true. It could all be true. We don't know. It's just people <laughs> writing stories on the internet that other people seem to think that were yeah. true because they were upvoted. So there must be some glimmer of truth here, I guess. This person says, I grew up in LA, so I grew up around a few child stars. In the early 2000s, there was a teenage dance club um, in Hollywood uh, and Highland for ages 14 to 18. No booze. But, like, it was kind of, you know, kids in those ages would go there. And I guess a lot of, like, child, like, Disney Channel stars and other celebs of the day would go there. They say people like Hilary Duff, David Gallagher of 7th Heaven, um, who wore matching track suits often. <laughs> and this person says the most notable being Shia LaBeouf. Oh. It was in the height of his even Stevens fame. Oh, wow. He I thought, loved that show. Oh, did you? Yeah. Everybody did. I watched that, yeah. He thought he was Brad Pitt or something. No. A group of girls <laughs> went up to him at one point trying to dance, and he pretended to sign autographs <laughs> on an imaginary pad of paper no. to them, and like no. he like would fake toss it into the crowd. <laughs> oh he God. then mimed having an old film camera 
and he rotated around looking at girls until he found one he liked, then zoomed in on her. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> this is hilarious. Right? And it's like, oh I think Sh- Shia LaBeouf has really turned his life around. Like he's gone through a lot of ups and downs. He has, yeah. <laughs> but thinking back to that time, I believe all this. Oh I, my believe, God. I believe it so much. And that then he Shia did holes. At- and then he did holes. <laughs> and then he did Transformers. Like, think about the yeah. guy from Transformers. It's like, this sounds like a story of the guy oh from Transformers. Oh my God, that is hilarious. You know? I can literally picture somebody who is so full of themselves doing that. Right? Oh my God. Right? <laughs> um, this person says, uh, this isn't from school, but my dad was neighbors with Conan O'Brien growing up. My grandmother was a, was a dance teacher, and she said uh, Conan specifically wanted private private dance lessons involving a top hat and a cane routine. Oh, wow. Also, my dad says he has a specific memory of Conan O'Brien jumping <laughs> off the wall that divided their yards. Oh, no. He was waving a sword around and yelling, Six Semper Tyrannus. <laughs> No one in our family is surprised <laughs> at him doing late night and like getting commercials where he's being ridiculous and getting tangled in a chair. Oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> they think it's very on brand. Ooh, this one you'll like. This person went to middle school and high school with Josh Hutcherson. Oh. Who is he from Hunger Games? Oh, um, he is. He's. Oh, he's, my he's God. He's the baker's kid, right? Yes. Why? The baker's Peter. kid. Peter. He's like the main character. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sarah loves the Hunger Games. I do. PETA pretty much kept to himself and seemed like a nice enough guy. Everyone, however, started kissing his ass mm. when he, because I guess he did the bridge to Terabithia, I think, when he was still, like, probably near the end of high school. So I think he was, like, becoming famous throughout middle school and high school. Apparently girls, and this is kind of similar to the story we hear here in The Princess Diaries, girls started lying about dating him. No. They're like, oh, I'm dating Josh Hutchinson and uh, Hutcherson. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it got to the point where he had to he had to leave high school Aww. and go start to be homeschooled just because he didn't want to deal with it. This person also talks about how um, one of his brother's friends uh, ended up unfortunately being paralyzed in a car accident, like from that high school. Mm-hmm. And Josh came back and like ran a fundraiser and all that stuff and tried to oh, help wow. them out. So still like you know trying to get yeah. back to that community. Um, That's amazing. I've got two more. Or do you want to just hear? Th- there's a good one you'll love. Okay, let's let's hear the good one. I lived in the dorms at USC or UCSC freshman year. With Andy Samberg. No! <laughs> oh my God, he had pillow talk with him. Sarah's one true love. She loves <laughs> love Andy, Andy Samberg. Samberg. We haven't f- brought him up in a while. I miss I miss talking about him. Um, you just <laughs> She's touching her earlobe a little bit. Wow. Oh, turning red in the cheeks. Oh my God. Oh my gosh, Okay, Sarah. let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Tell me more about Andy. <laughs> well, what if it's a bad story about Andy? Um, I refuse to believe a bad story about him. And I feel Fair like enough. he's a very nice person. I remember that he had a bunch of pretty cool hip hop and a record player in his room. He also had a girlfriend that went to another school, come visit, and he talked uh, his roommate into leaving for the night (laughs) and then took the two single beds in his dorm room, put them on the floor and prepared a king size bed for the night. It was like a date night, I I guess. Um, That was for me. (laughs) <laughs> were you the girl from out of town oh i'm Surprise. dating somebody from out of town out of the country maybe um our dorm was uh cowell college and he performed a really bizarre rap at the talent show second semester he does go on to say really talented guy um but his level of fame especially when he made the jump from hustling comedy writer in la to snl sensation was shocking to witness i guess he just had this trajectory that didn't really feel real at the time Huh. He seems like a nice guy. Yes. Great my date man. Night from Andy Samberg. My man, Andy <laughs> Samberg. Here we go. And now we have uh, Mia Thermopolis in The Princess Diaries. We do. So Michael brings the car by to Mia's house, and she then invites him to the ball, but he doesn't accept. He, you know, says, don't feel sorry for me. You know, Josh will look better in a tux. And she's like, no, I want to go with you. But he doesn't want to go there. She later sends him a pizza with M&M's um, spelling out sorry. And he he does end up going to the ball. For Mia's birthday, Clarice gives her her father's diary. And it opens with the locket that Clarice gave to Mia at the very beginning of the movie. She tells Mia that she would uh, she would make a good princess and... 
she does want her to, you know, be a part of the royal family, the royal portion of it, does tell Mia that you will always be my granddaughter, though, first. She tells Mia that she has to formally renounce her royal status as heir publicly at the ball, though, and that is not Mia's scene. Mia can't publicly renounce that she's a princess, so she decides to run. But before she leaves, she reads a letter her dad wrote her. She decides that she's going to go to the ball and takes her Mustang, but gets stuck again on that dang hill. And Joe comes to her safety. It is pouring rain, so Mia is absolutely, like, soaked. And at the ball, since she hasn't shown up, Clarice goes to make the speech for her, but she gets there just in time so that Mia can go up on that stage. Mia makes the speech and changes her mind that she will, in fact, be a royal and forevermore will be prin- Princess of Genovia. If I cared about the other seven billion out there instead of just me, that's probably a much better use of my time. See, if I were Princess of Genovia, then my thoughts and the thoughts of people smarter than me would be much better heard and just maybe... Those thoughts could be turned into actions. Why do I remember that (laughs) the prime minister singing that song in the scene directly after this is beyond me? Yeah, I kind of ran. I I noticed that. Like that's strange. All of the words. (laughs) Why I don't know. Hold on, off the top of your head. No, I can't think of it right now. Because I I was going to make you. I meant to write it out. So that I could, in fact, sing, but I can't. Wait, you're talking about the national, like the Genovia, Genovia. Yes, that song. I was hoping you were going to keep going. I know, I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) We almost got her. But yes, I know all, all the words. I, but like, why? The grass thing and then this. One of the two, two things that I remember. Anyway, Mia gets all cleaned up and dries off. And then goes to dance with Michael in the center of the dance floor. Michael and Mia go out to the garden after. And he asks Mia, why me? And she tells him, because you saw me when I was invisible. Yeah. They kiss and her foot pops. It pops, Sarah. That's what all every girl wants. Yeah. Joe and Clarice hold hands. Lily and Michael are going to spend their summer at the palace in Genovia. And Mia's mom moves with her to Genovia as well. The end. I love a good closure. (laughs) Quick facts. This is the theatrical movie debut of Anne Hathaway. This movie was produced by Whitney Houston. The scene where Mia slips and falls in the bleachers was real. Anne Hathaway had slipped on a puddle while doing the scene, and the director thought it was so funny he inserted it in the final cut. (laughs) When Mia accidentally sets the man's arm on fire, the flames were supposed to go out when he put his arm in the ice bucket but they didn't and hathaway panicked and threw the glass of water on it which was not scripted two uh moments of great i know staying in character from anne hathaway because the fall is really it's just cute and endearing it's, it's you know? flawless yeah <laughs> it's my dad joke for you The picture of Mia's deceased father next to her music box is Anne Hathaway's real-life father, Gerald T. Hathaway. He also appears to be writing the letter to her while fishing. Mia's cat, Fat Louie, was Anne Hathaway's pet in real life. Four different cats played the role. One who allowed people to carry it, one who could sit still, another who would jump, and the last one who sits on the envelope at the end of the movie. We have a wildly (laughs) specific and oversaturated... um, cat situation in Hollywood. They, yes. they had four cats yes. playing this role just because one cat couldn't do all the things. They're mm-hmm. like, we just need one that sits somewhere. Yeah. Who needs twins now to play one role? We need four <laughs> cats to play one. We need four cats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the DVD commentary, uh, Gary Marshall, the director, refers to two cats playing Fat Louie, the cat that moved and the cat that didn't. <laughs> <laughs> could, the, could the cat that moves not just play the cat that doesn't? Like, can I you know. just... Make it not move? I don't know. I don't know. One would think. During auditions, Anne Hathaway fell out of her chair and was immediately given the part as clumsy Mia Thermopolis. Gary Marshall's granddaughters watched the tapes of actresses auditioning for the role of Mia. They confided in their grandfather that he should hire Anne Hathaway because she had good princess hair. Gary Marshall wrote the retainer scene after learning Anne Hathaway had worn a retainer when she was younger, but found it difficult to speak while wearing it. Anne Hathaway brought her actual old retainer for the scene. 
When Michael comes with Mia's car, Mia is watching one of the deleted scenes from the movie. It was also Anne Hathaway's idea to have the pore strip on her nose during that scene. Anne Hathaway had to wear a thick clip-in hairpiece to give her hair a much bushier appearance. The hairpiece became known as The Beast by cast and crew. Her pre-makeover eyebrows took an hour to apply as each tiny hair was individually glued on. It was Anne Hathaway's idea that the brush should break in her hair at the start of her makeover. Director Gary Marshall confessed that nearly all of the movie crew had to go on the fireman's pole. One of the waiters in the dinner scene, when Mia breaks the, the water glass, says it happens all the time. The same actor played a waiter in Pretty Woman in 1990 and said the same line when Vivian Ward, played by Julia Roberts, flings the snail and the waiter catches it. Both movies were directed by Gary Marshall. Dame Julie Andrews' jewelry and tiara for the final part of the movie was $500,000 worth of real diamonds on loan from Harry Winston. Anne Hathaway's tiara was made specifically for her and was considerably cheaper. Instead of diamonds, her tiara was comprised of uh, cubic zirconia. Anne Hathaway took rock climbing lessons for this movie. Really? Yeah. Because the rock climbing scene, if you watch it, carefully it doesn't really look like they do much rock climbing at all <laughs> so i'm kind of surprised by that yeah while filming the final celebratory dance scene the madonna song like a prayer was played on a boombox to elicit natural dancing from the actors and actresses on set that to be then dubbed over by the song that appeared in the final cut the assistant director had to do multiple takes of this scene because the actors and actresses kept mouthing the words like a prayer while on camera the autograph seekers, Lily and Charlotte, are Gary Marshall's twin granddaughters. Also, one of the buildings in the school was the Lily and Charlotte Grove building. Hector Elizondo played basketball several hours solo in the rain for a few seconds shown in the movie. Mia's dress from the dance party, the periwinkle one, is a copy of the dress that Kron Princessen Victoria of Sweden, I think the princess of Sweden, my, uh, I'm guessing, sorry if I get that wrong, wore uh, to the Nobel Prize Gala in 1997. Anne Hathaway and Heather Matarazzo, uh, hopefully I'm saying that right, became good friends during the filming of this movie and still keep in touch to this day. They hope to remain friends for the rest of their lives. This movie was filmed on stage two in Walt Disney Studios in Burbank, California, the same stage on which Mary Poppins was shot. The stage has since been named in honor of Dame Julie Andrews, who starred in both movies. The rental house in which Andrews lived uh, while filming Mary Poppins was lived in by the director Gary Marshall while filming this movie. During shooting of the tea scene in the garden and the greenhouse scene, airplanes were flying over the area and interfered with the sound. When the scenes were finished, Gary Marshall gave Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews awards for best acting in airplane interference. <laughs> in the book, Mia's father is not dead. Rather, he has testicular cancer. In order to avoid what Disney thought would be too adult topic, he was just written as dead in the movie. In the book, when Mia shoves the ice cream on Lana, her parents stick up for her. Also in the book, the plot of Mia's mother Helen dating her teacher is a much bigger deal. Director Gary Marshall told Anne Hathaway to gain a bit of weight to portray a full-figure role model. The young girl who played the Prime Minister's daughter is uh, Hector Elizondo's real-life granddaughter. Genovia is said to be a small um, country between Spain and France. It's obviously not a real country. However, there actually is a small uh, co-monarchial uh, country between Spain and France called Andorra. Michael's band, Flypaper, is singing the song Blue Side by Robert Schwartzman's real band, Rooney. Uh, though in Rooney, Schwartzman plays guitar and vocals, not uh, keyboard and vocals. Kathleen Marshall, who plays Charlotte, uh, Clarice's assistant, is Gary Marshall's daughter. The movie completely changed Queen Clarice and Mia's relationship from that in the book. In the book, Clarice has been uh, stuck up and cruel towards Mia, causing her to cry many times and even being the one to out Mia as the princess to the press. In the movies, the stylist Paolo does this. There's a short post credit scene where Mia tries to kick the ball but falls instead. The neighbor, Mr. Robitussin? Is that what it is? I think that's medicine. <laughs> I know. The way it's spelled, <laughs> though, has me, has me saying Robitussin. 
I'm going to say Rova doesn't. For back pain? <laughs> Robaxaset. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> okay, well, Mia's neighbor appeared in the movie Pretty Woman, as did Joe, Charlotte, Paolo, and the waiter uh, in the scene in which Mia drops something at the dinner. Of course, we talked about that earlier. Robitussin. Thank you. It's for uh, cough control. Oh, cough. yeah. I it's thought you were a, looking up his name. Cough suppressor. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm more stuck on what, what does this do? Yeah, it's for coughs. Yeah, it's for coughs. <laughs> there you go. So the neighbor, Mr. Robitussin. I'm, I'm sorry. I said it wrong. <laughs> Mia Thermopolis and her mother, Helen, lived in the formal former chemical engineer uh, engine company 43 at 724 brazil avenue san francisco california the two-story frame mission revival style firehouse was built circa 1911 to provide fire protection to the excelsior homestead district it was one of the first to leave behind the horse-drawn days for the newly fashioned motorized apparatus shipped from the east the retired firehouse was sold at auction in 1976 the private residence still retained a large hose drying tower in the back. <laughs> There's your history lesson for My the day. God. In the books, Mia lives in New York City, not San Francisco. As well, um, in the book, Mia's hair is blonde after the makeover. Genovia appears to be a member state of the of the European Union. The European Union flag is displayed along with the Genovian flag above the main door of the Genovian consulate building in the scene where Mia went to meet her grandmother for the very first time. During the scene where Lily plays basketball, uh, the actress, Heather, made a basket on the first take and also again on her second attempt. The castle used to portray the Genovian Palace at the end of this movie is the Longford Castle, located in south of Salisbury, uh, England. Mia Thermopolis recites one of Juliet's soliloquies from Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Shakespeare was married to a woman named Anne Hathaway. Gary Marshall's favorite saying while making a movie, Everybody Works, was loosely translated into Latin to become the Genovian motto, Totus corpum laborat, or the whole body works. In the books, Mia's full name is Amelia Mignonette Grimaldi, Thermopolis Rinaldi. At the dinner, the old man and his wife sitting beside Mia that seemed to be angry at each other. The wife also appeared in the movie The Princess Diaries 2, Royal Engagement, as a maid to the uncle that is trying to take her crown. The letter that Mia receives from her father contains a few popular quotes. The first two, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather knowing that something else is more important that, than fear. And the brave may not live forever, but the cautious do not live at all. Were penned by James Neal Hollingworth, a.k.a. Ambrose Hollingworth Redmoon. The rest were just created for the movie. When Josh is hit by Mia's baseball, it is implied that he is hit in the genitals, as typical for such a gag. Uh, however, he is clearly hit in the stomach and then doubles over immediately, putting his hands just above his crotch, but doubling over so as not to be seen. Standards and practices felt that an actual baseball to the crotch would be too much for a children's movie. The trolley into which Mia rolls uh, rolls back with her Mustang is not a trolley nor cable car, but a tour bus. The tires of the bus can be seen in the shot. In the movie, Mia's 15 years old, and near the end of it, she's two weeks shy of her 16th birthday. In real life, however, Anne Hathaway was 17 years old when she filmed this movie. Dame Helen Mirren was considered for the role of Queen Clarice Rinaldi. I could see it. Yes, me too, actually. The two leading actresses uh, are Oscar winners, Anne Hathaway for Les Miserables and Dame Julie Andrews for Mary Poppins. Both women uh, won for musicals. Sandra Oh, Hector Elonzondo, Mary Mandy Moore, and Heather Matarazzo appeared, all appeared on Grey's Anatomy. Scarlett Johansson, January Jones, Eliza Dushku, uh, Amanda Bynes, and Emmy Rosam auditioned for the role of Mia Thermopolis. Alyssa Milano also turned down the role, fearing being typecast uh, for playing the girl-next-door characters. Towards the beginning of the movie, when Mia is on the way to school, she crosses the street on her scooter, only to have a limo pass her by. The limo is carrying her royal grandmother. Laura Prepon was offered the role of Lily, but turned it down. In the books, Fat Louie is an orange and white cat, but in the movies, he is black and white. In a scene, Mia is at her fire station house, seated next to her computer, which is now a rare collectible black Apple Mac PowerBook G4 Prismo. 
note, uh, the Apple logo is upside down. Apple provided the product placement computers for this movie. Caroline Goodall first played a mother in the movie Hook. So this is uh, Mia's mother, Helen, in this movie, when she played the mother of Peter Pan's children, Moira Banning. The second time she played a mother figure was uh, the Silver Brumby in 1993 when she played Emile uh, Damien's mother. Third was when she played Anne Hathaway's mother in this movie. The fourth was in Chasing Liberty when she played the First Lady as well as Mandy Moore's mother. After Mia's cra- uh, car crash into the bus, two nuns are seen attempting to call 911. Bonnie Ahrens played the demon nun in the movie The Conjuring and the whole franchise. Yeah. The egg chef in the kitchen during the rain sequence towards the end of the movie is young actor and producer Anthony Begonia. When Queen Clarice first sees Mia, she says, let me take a look at you. This is the same line she says in The Sound of Music when she meets the children. The on-screen relationship between uh, Queen Clarice Clarice Rinaldi and Joe was not scripted. The dance scene and the underlining affection was added by the two. According to Hector, we felt that a romance after 50 was important to tell and it can be a sensual and, and sexy while keeping your clothes on. For the first act of the movie, Queen Clarice Rinaldi wears only black and dark outfits. Right before her dance with Joe, he says, you've been wearing too, uh, you've been wearing black for too long. After the dance scene, Clarice starts to add more color to her wardrobe. It is later revealed in the movie that her husband, King Rupert, had passed away the previous year. This means that at the start of the movie, she was still mourning his death. But as she falls in love with Joe, her personality once again becomes alive and colorful. Honorable mentions. Okay, one of my honorable mentions is um, the voicing for the lawn yelling. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just have to give props. You love them. that. I do. I like literally love that scene. I think I watched it a few times while watching this movie. Um, but also just generally Anne Hathaway. This was her first big movie, and I would never have never have thought that like I never would have known that like you watch movies now like I just was watching um, my life with the Walter boys. Yes. And like you can tell that this is some of their first ever roles. You can just tell, you know, like you can just tell the acting is not that great. I mean, did I watch it all? Yeah. Did (laughs) I enjoy the drama? Of course. Will I watch season two? Yeah. But Anne Hathaway, you never would have known that this was her very first movie. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, I'm going to honorably mention Sandra. Oh, who we have yet to really talk about love her the uh principal of the high school so funny she also has, christina yang on uh, gray's anatomy which those. i was curious so once i saw her in this i'm like wow was she she wasn't getting that gray's anatomy money yet right <laughs> i don't think so oh five yeah gray's anatomy starts so she was what well, we're seeing the sandra O oh before it all happened in this movie so good sandra O. Oh. so she's fantastic yeah what should have been? I am pleasantly happy that they made a second movie, and I am very much looking forward to them doing a third movie. So, I have no what should have been. I am well, completely opposed to that, Sarah, and that what? is my what should have been. They should not do a third movie. Why? Here's my only tale of the tape. Anne Hathaway and Julie Andrews both have already said no. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, then they shouldn't. So it's going to be like Mean Girls 3. No. no, Or like Legally Blonde 3 when they've just like, they're like, well, Reese won't do it anymore, but like who else is blonde that we Well, then you can't do it. Exactly. No. The nostalgic piece is not held there for those who enjoy and love the movie. It's just not there anymore. You can't do it. Like. Oh, I didn't know they both said it. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I think most of them, like the the main people returned, right? Yes. Mamma Mia 3, apparently Meryl Streep. And uh, Amanda Seyfried have said, like, yeah, we'll, we'll do okay, it. So, okay, yeah. But but that's the difference, right? In this scenario, I'm pretty sure they both said that they weren't oh, going to be involved. Oh, my heart I thought it was going to be like a Freaky Friday thing where, like, Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan were like, heck, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Whereas, no. like, this is not the case. Okay, well, then <laughs> no. that's my what should have been. They should not do a third movie without Julie Andrews and Anne Hathaway as well. I agree with you. Overall rewatchability. Okay, my rewatchability is as follows. Chemistry of five, perfection, obviously. Storyline 4.5, based on a book, but still really good. Thirst Factor 4. Imagination 4.5, they came up with an entire country. (laughs) Soundtrack 5, epic, like just so good. Like I said, I can literally sing the Genovian National Anthem. Cheese 4.5 for an overall score of 4.58 out of 5. 
4.58. Yes. So good. So anything above a 4.5 is like we're getting into the Amazing. truly yes. iconic territory. Absolutely. Okay? It is. My Slightly lower on most parts. Chemistry of 4.15. Chemistry was great. Especially between Julie Andrews and Hathaway. Perfection. Storyline, 4.65. Thirst factor, a 4. Imagination, bringing it down to a 3.6. Based off a book, and it sounds like they changed a lot of things between the adaptions. The soundtrack wasn't killing it for me. Are you kidding me? There are a few moments between scenes that they had like some really funny music that I thought was... It was delicious. Produced by Whitney Houston. I know. I Cheese, a 4.2. That gives us an overall score of... And I'm going to like three decimal points just to show how close this was. <laughs> 4.008. Oh my God. <laughs> which is which is in the territory of this is a great of film. Of greatness. For me. It is great. Didn't quite hit icon level, but I know you, you're probably listening thinking Sarah has the correct score. Yes. That's totally cool. Got two different people on this pod, two different vibes. Still enjoyed it a lot. This has been the Rom-Com Rewind of The Princess Diaries. Wherever you're listening, throw us a follow, leave a review. Thanks for listening.